Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to another week of Fresh Take with Joey and Ranbeer. Today, we had on the superintendent of HSC Schools, Dr. Alan Borf. Uh, we had a great conversation, and we cannot wait to get this episode out to you guys. Uh, we are available on all platforms. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Fresh Take WRNJ. Love you guys. Can't wait for you guys to hear this. were born with iPads in their hands. So I think it's easier for them to learn. My four grandkids were. They certainly were. Yeah. We're going to talk about HSC. We want to talk about HSC 21 a little bit and the integration of how it was so quick for us because when I was a freshman in high school, that's when we really started deploying devices. Would have been 2014, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 2013, we were still going to computer labs. So what was that deployment like from an administrative level of you trying to get all these students at all your schools devices while also providing the infrastructure with Wi-Fi? Yeah, that, w- that was a challenge. Um, the, I think one of the greatest challenges we had was just the, the staff development. It was easier to actually deploy the, the devices we had to have a staff that could actually make make use of those devices. And that's where we had some of our greatest challenges. Until last year, or until, until the pandemic hit, I would bet that the number of teachers or the percentage of teachers that we had who knew how to use some kind of um, digital conferencing was probably 5%. Yeah. 10, I think, would be charitable. And Virtually all of them know how to do it now. It it happens fast when you have to when you have to do it. That rollout that you're talking about really took about two years, and that was really as as simple as just having patience as people were picking them up or purchasing them. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the, it was the training that took so much more so much more time. And that's when is that when you guys integrated the. Uh, Wednesday, one hour, you get out one hour early. Where is that where the training took place? Many, in many cases. Okay. okay. And some schools took faster than the others. Than others. Okay. Mm-hmm. So did you ever notice a difference between the, the deployment of technology between high school teachers and K through 8? That's a good question. I, I don't know that we did. Um, the high school teachers probably used... They were probably using, in, in pockets, they were using the technology before the elementary. But we saw some really rapid acquisition of skills, particularly at the primary level, where yeah. those devices were being used by kindergartners, and they were adept at taking those devices and going deeper into into subject matter. Okay. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of with that level, there's a big level of students teach teacher, teacher teach student. That's right. Whereas in middle school and high school, I think it can be a little tougher to go out of your way to teach your own teacher how to use stuff. Because I know <laughs> some of the worst moments in school or most awkward was when like the teacher would not know how to work the projector and no one was brave enough to speak up. But <laughs> I feel like in kindergarten and first grade, second grade, you don't have those inhibitions. So that might have been one of the 
the main causations of how they were able to pick it up rapidly. Could, could be. I had to give up that inhibition a long time <laughs> ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took me until I think senior year to lose that inhibition. So, but it's, it's strange the way that different levels learn. And with the HSE 21 rollout, you were talking about how we barely had that we had to go to the computer labs. I remember we would bring in iPads for a little bit. And I think that was just before your time as superintendent, they would bring in iPad cards. And those were, there was not rapid acquisition of skills <laughs> from the teachers at that point. They just kind of sent us out to, to work on it on ourselves. And I feel like there was a big difference between the iPad cards and having your own device and the way that we began to learn through devices that I thought was interesting. So how did you start out in education? Or administration? Administration. Um, let me think about that. I always knew from the beginning. I was, I was an English teacher, high school English teacher, and I knew from the beginning that I was interested in uh, administration. My father-in-law was a principal, and we would talk business all the time. And uh, he had been my high school principal, so I'd known him for a long time. And uh, he had acquainted me when I was even in high school with some opportunities to explore administration and I saw that that's where some differences could be made though I loved the classroom uh, I, I taught uh, all the grade levels from about 7 through 12 my favorite my favorite area was number 10 the the sophomores okay. I really liked the sophomores but uh, I began as an assistant principal and worked my way through at one district I was a I, it was a very small district and I had the opportunity as a, an assistant principal to also be director of high, high ability or gifted and talented, we called it then, and transportation. Wow. So I worked <laughs> with the bus drivers, I worked with the, ca with the gifted kids, and then I was also the, the chief disciplinarian. <laughs> and uh, while it was a, a wild assembly of tasks, it was also a great one um, because I was able to I, I wasn't burnt out by one particular function that I had to perform. So, uh, and that brought me into the central office, and then from the central office, um, someone had, a, a superintendent in the area had asked if I would come back and be a high school principal, which I, which I did, and he pretty much groomed me for his job. Okay. And so I became a high school, or a uh, district superintendent back in 91, and so I've been at it for 30 years as a superintendent. And you're ready to go out, right? This is your last year. <laughs> I don't know that I'm ready, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but, but I am. It's, it's, it's time. And I had planned this some, some time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some who wonder if I had known this pandemic was coming, <laughs> would I have gone out <laughs> one year early? I'm not sure. Might have. I had no idea. But this would have been a really tough year for a new superintendent oh my to come gosh. in. Oh. Oh my I can't imagine someone coming in and doing this. So I, I'm glad to be where I am. Okay. So you mentioned uh, getting your uh, dad, was it, right? Was the president? Uh, step, or uh, father-in-law. Father-in-law was your... Um, principal in high school yes and you mentioned he got you very very involved mm -hmm. you also followed that trend of superintendent uh getting your students very involved i saw that with the club stigma free hsc and uh, joey talks yeah. about how all the yeah. time you guys had many conversations so do you think that's where you kind of got your integration or thought process of students need to be involved in the decision or not involved but a part of the decision making process probably uh, my my uh, high school administrators and teachers were very engaging. I went to Kokomo High School, and I like to say that it was during their golden era. And uh, <laughs> they involved us. The superintendent had asked me, I remember when we were doing a massive renovation, he called me and asked if I could give him some student input on what uh, I thought they should be looking at. And believe it or not, my... Uh, my little tidbit of information for him was, I think you need to have some communication devices in every classroom. Communication devices looked like telephones. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but the interesting thing was they incorporated that into the design. 
and he he was very clear about showing me that this is this is where your input has been helpful. Seeing that, and uh, just being a part of the planning process, and I poured over the the prints every night with my father-in-law. Uh, that really was probably the beginning. But I had teachers who were um, very, very good about bringing us in to the design of coursework. Mm -hmm. um, I had a counselor uh, who saw my writing. Uh, I was doing some, I was the editor, f uh, the feature editor for our newspaper. She saw that and she asked if I would be a part of the um, North Central evaluation process of the high school. And I thought it was a great opportunity, so I did that. And that was my first involvement in the design of high school curriculum, uh, extracurricular activities, facility, uh, you know, facility quality and teacher credentials. So, um, yeah, I'd say that's probably where it started. Okay. Along with the focus on being great in the classroom, you also put an emphasis on being <clears throat> great outside of the classroom. Um, for example, the partnership with the city government, you know, allowing kids mm -hmm. in school to understand how city government really works, or even Connor Prairie, the partnership with Connor Prairie, just a outreach to the community while you were superintendent. Why do you think that play has played a such a big impact in our kids, you know, uh, or helping them get ready for college or the future in general? We're, we're, I think we've known for a long time that... Learning doesn't happen in silos, even though we've structured our education system like that. Yeah. It's not how the brain works. At one time, we thought it did, uh, but that's not how the brain works. Learning is, is a seamless, interactive process. And I think that one of the blessings that I've, I've enjoyed here in uh, HSE is that I have been able to work with a mayor who is of similar thought that we need to we need to have these experiences available for our for our kids yeah. so that they have something that maybe no one else will have mm -hmm. uh, in the entire country, world, whatever, that will prepare them uniquely to be uh, ready for whatever is coming. One of the things that we have have to realize is that uh, you're going out into a world where employment opportunities are going to change many times before you're ever ready to be retired like uh, I'm heading into. And uh, it would be very unlikely that you would be in a similar spot for your entire career. Yeah. Back when I started, that's, that's exactly what many of us were planning to do. We were planning to go into employment and stay there, loyal to the company. Yes. Um, some recessions – uh, took care of that type of loyalty and, and attitude, but we've, I think we live in a very dynamic time where you can recreate yourself very quickly with, with new skills and uh, acquisition of, of, of those skills and go an entirely different direction. You just have to know, and we're working on this, you have to know how you learn best. It's true. Once you learn how you learn and can manipulate some of those experiences around you, uh, I think you are, you are ready for uh, some, some great success. Yeah, I, I saw that evolution very closely because the way I learned, that when we were growing up in an elementary school, that we were taught you learn either with words, you kind of picture the words, or with images. And I was kind of a blend between the two, so I never really got the chance to learn that well up until high school when I think that plan started to be implemented I started learning a lot better. I learned how to learn for myself, which I think is, as you were saying, a very valuable trait. I also think it was very cool to watch the city of Fishers evolve as our learning evolved. And to hear that you had that partnership with Mayor Fadness makes total sense because our education started leveling up, started changing as our city started growing from the ground up. And I think that was very cool to see the parallels between that. It made me feel more I think of a member of my community to see the city growing, aging with me. And it made me feel like I had more of an impact with that, um, especially with the, the changing learning scape. So I appreciate the HSE 21 initiative because that 
helped open up different facets for me learning personally, and I know it, it worked for a lot of my friends. Um, so how did you start to realize that? Because you were very early on the forefront of that, HSE schools. Was it through focus groups or just kind of picking out trends, or, or was it through that student information that you were garnering that you should make the switch? We, uh, when I was in, in the Richmond schools, actually when I was at Knox, that, which was a, a very small district, we had we had students out 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 and about, and um, but when I was in Richmond, it really it really hit me that if we were going to prepare our students for the world, uh, we had to get them out uh, get them out of those four walls, and in Richmond, uh, it was an exciting time because I partnered with Ivy Tech to do a an early college, and I'm, when I say early college, we were talking about 6th, uh, 7th, and 8th graders okay. actually having classes out at Ivy Tech. And the chancellor worked with me there. We were good friends, and uh, we developed a whole program around that. I'm not sure if it still exists over there, but we bused the students over there. They got to meet professors, learn from the professors. We made a compact with the families uh, to support us. But I, always, I also had Earlham College, which was uh, not too far away from Richmond, the Richmond High School campus, and uh, they were partners, and they, they partnered with us in a number of ways. Uh, whenever they had educational speakers in, we were invited, and I always made sure that we had students going over there experiencing what it would be like to be uh, in a professor's class. So... We partnered with the Chamber of Commerce to get students out. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't necessarily an epiphany on my part. It was just a re- realization that uh, in order to equip our students, we needed to to get them out where they could actually see the impact of what they were learning in their classroom, uh, almost like a lab experience mm-hmm. outside. Mm-hmm. So we. But that college experience that you're talking about, when I was in high school, we had those ACP classes through <laughs> IU. Right. And um, we and also had, you know, those classes through Ivy Tech, the college algebra or uh, the computer. I forget what it's called. The computer class. Digital apps. Is that what it's called? I believe. But uh, those classes were through college uh, institutions, and it enabled us to even get ahead of what yeah. we would be versus um, – I coached wrestling at Purdue Polytech, so I saw the difference in infrastructure um, versus those kids. So how w- what was it like to know that you're this institution or school that you're preparing for these kids, they are going to be set up for the future? I think in one word, uh, ver- it's satisfaction. I mean, we are very satisfied with uh, what we're doing. We're, I shouldn't say satisfied. It gives us great satisfaction. Uh, we're not satisfied. We're we're trying to expand that because you were really among the minority of students who were able to take advantage of some of these opportunities, and we need to expand that. I just had a conversation today with uh, Janet Chandler. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. her. Miss uh, Chandler, Ms. of course. Miss Chandler was. Uh, over at HSE, but we meet regularly because she's still the, the president of the Teachers Association. And we talked today about what it's going to take to be fully at scale with some of these experiences. And the best approach would be to, to build it around, build the approach around um, projects and a digital por- portfolio. And I said, can you imagine every one of our high school seniors having a digital portfolio that is um, vetted and then assessed by a panel of experts. I'm not so sure we have enough experts in this community to get that job done. Yeah. And so we're, we're, we know that we can do it. We know that we can expect that from our students. It's a matter of just scaling that at this point. But that's our next step. That is what we're working at now. I I really do like the turn towards project-based learning because finals have become, or they might have always been, a regurgitation. You you sort of internalize everything for one moment, spit it all back out, 
and then most likely it's going to be gone at that point. But with project-based learning, I've always valued the ability to utilize the skills that you've been learning. Um, and that really started, I didn't think we saw project-based learning being pushed until I'd say my sophomore, junior year. Mm -hmm. And that was something that we had spoken about within our, I think, bi-monthly meetings. Sure. Um, so it was really interesting to see that you took that, our, the student advice, I'm sure you were talking about it with, with other people, but it felt good that, that uh, it felt like we had been heard and transitioned that into a way of learning. How did you go about emphasizing that for the teachers and starting to bridge that change from an institutionalized finals to more coursework-based, project-based? How did you go about You know, many of the teachers have discovered on their own that that's just a natural way mm -hmm. of, as I said earlier, uh, bringing the walls down around the subjects. Because when you do a project, you're incorporating your li uh, liter literary skills, your your linguistic skills, your mathematics. I mean, there are no walls. It's a holistic approach. Yeah. Very holistic. And that's how, that's how learning is, and that's how application is. So a project enables you to do that, and teachers have seen that. Many of them are teaching me better ways of going about getting that kind of a, a, a approach refined and we're, I, I think HSE has an abundance of teachers who know how to go about doing that. When Dr. Susan Drum was working with us, she's, uh, she resigned last year, um, but she was working with me in the central office. She was a technology integration specialist and eventually became one of our data, data analytics directors. And... Uh, she brought two students. I bet I've told this story before. We, we met over at uh, one of the, uh, well, I'm not sure where we were. I think we were at a coffee shop someplace. Anyway, uh, we came in. I met one of them, and I asked him to talk to me about his HSC experience. And he claimed that the greatest, the greatest skill that he had developed while at HSC was project learning. And he said, the reason I say that is so great, was so great, was because that's what I'm doing now. I work on projects. I'm a, a software. I, he mm -hmm. was working on software design. The next one who came in almost said the same thing. <laughs> it was almost, it was paraphrasing. The first, and they had no idea what each other was saying. But, uh, I didn't design their experience. I had nothing to do with it because they graduated before I came on the scene. Uh, so we owe a lot of what yeah. we're doing, not just to intentionality at the central office, but intentionality right there in the classroom. Teachers are doing the right thing, and they're doing it in big numbers. So we have an abundance of great teachers Absolutely. in our schools. I mean. Uh, we had a whole episode of how we talked about how fantastic and how lucky we are to grow up in Fishers and attend these schools. Um, when the question comes to your desk, hey, let's raise teacher pay, how does that <coughs> go uh, administratively? Like, what's the process that you guys have to go through to be like, yes or no? The first thing we have to do is size up the budget to see if we have that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, funding. And then we have to go to the negotiating table with the teachers association. And when you have money, negotiations are fairly <laughs> congenial. Uh, when you don't have money, it can, be, it can become very difficult. And I have been fortunate uh, since, since I came to HSE, we, we have been able to lobby the General Assembly for a more um, generous funding uh, measure for the HSE schools and schools like us. And that wasn't true when you got here, right? We had right. we got less funding when you first got here and you were That's right. we found a way to be able to keep our education the same if not better, which keep going, sorry. <laughs> well, we we were able to um, to tweak that that uh, formula a bit to our advantage and um, we also doubled the referendum, and we doubled that referendum for a number of reasons. Uh, when I came on, and I would, I would 
I would suggest that the new superintendent, whoever that is, um, do the same thing. Uh, when I came on, I did a listening tour. I went to every building, met with all the faculties, met with uh, all the PTOs. Took a long time. Took it took many evenings, but that information that I gathered then became my package that I used to justify doubling that referendum. And we did double the referendum, so we were able to do so much more. And uh, I'm working with probably, in, well, in excess of $22, 23000000 million more per year than the previous superintendent. So that did enable us to expand our staff, expand our uh, teaching staff as, as well, and then also raise raise mm -hmm. the teacher pay, <clears throat> but the uh, it's a it's a complex it's a complex project when I you're talking about it. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah, because we have to uh, we have to address the other needs. For example, I I'm still um, not I'm I'm still not pleased with the level at which we're addressing global global languages. Okay. And I told the community when we did our referendum that we would begin at the elementary. That's been a little more complicated than I thought, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just as, it's not, it, it's not as simple as saying, let's go out and hire these people. We've been able to hire them, but we haven't been able to keep them in all, in all cases. Yeah. Most, of the, most of the language teachers are looking at higher levels, not just kindergarten, first grade, second grade. Oh, so hard to teach yeah. those kids that. But I've also <coughs> heard that it's also easier to acquire language at a younger age. It is. And now that yeah. I'm in college, um, I'm also, I'm learning Spanish right now through a screen, not in person, which hinders my learning ability even more. And um, I took four, three years of Spanish in high school. So I'm, I understand where I'm at. But when it comes to the crystallization of the learning, I don't think I'm there yet. Also, that must be a logistical, very Nightmare. difficult, yeah, very good, difficult to work with because in elementary, there's only one teacher per classroom per mm -hmm. student. So would you, how would you go about teaching them? Would it be like a large group? No, it would be, um, do you remember art when you were in elementary yes. in PE? Okay, it would be. You go to a different oh, teacher. Oh, a section, okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, but that and was. It must be difficult to, for the children to retain it. It is. Yeah. It is. They have fun. They have a great deal of fun. And many times they, they do learn faster. Yeah. Uh, but the best way of teaching would be to have it consistently five days a week, uh, small sections of it, and that's not what they have. So yeah. in order to do that, we, we would have to either enhance it through technology or or expand our staff, and we haven't been able to accomplish that. But when you when you expand your staff, you're reducing that pool of dollars that you have for teacher wages. Okay, and that's that's the that's the balancing act, and that's what we work with the teachers association uh, to do, try to accomplish um, an agreement that says we are balancing effectively, and have this set aside for teacher. Okay. raises so hsc was the first district i heard of while i was in high school to hire a mental health coordinator uh brooke lawson she helped me with my club and honestly has ran with the, that job since she got here right i mean no complaints uh <laughs> the, we're talking about mental health and mental illness and fissures at an exponential rate compared to other counties i'd say so what was it like uh being able to lead a frontier almost of, you know, we are the model city for mental health awareness. Yeah, that was a risk. That was a, a major risk because just talking about it suggests to some people that you have a mental health issue. And uh, I think we all, every district, every place in the, in the whole country has a mental health issue. Uh, but when you start talking about it, there are some who are concerned that it's a crisis that you're dealing with. And though, there, though that it can, it can be a crisis on an individual level, I wouldn't say that this community is in crisis. And that was the risk. But again, I come back to our mayor. Yeah. Uh, he made that so much more possible to talk about because he was talking about it. He made that a major community um, 
Im- initiative. He tells that story all the time about how he went on a drive with an officer and realized how many, uh, you know, mental health calls that they get in a night. And uh, I think this Brooke Lawson, shout out to her, played a huge part. Uh, Mayor Fadda, shout out to you. And also like this, the counselors at each school, um, the student-led organizations. I mean, the outpour of support from the city was even not si- this the people of the city was massive and knowing that you have that support from your people probably feels a lot better knowing that you're going that you're going forward with this well and fishers is such a progressive community yeah when i was when i was in richmond um we were dealing with a with a dropout issue we dealt with a graduation issue and um one of the one of the realizations that I came to over there was that many of our teachers were interacting with students from a disciplinary angle and treating some of the acting out that students were doing from a disciplinary position. Once we came to accept the fact that it may be something different from just a willful attempt to disrupt, that's when we we began putting therapists in our buildings. I don't know that we had one in every building when I was at Richmond, but we did have an, uh, a working contract with our area provider, and it made a big difference. We had community outreach, and then we had the therapists, and uh, we got a handle on that, on that uh, graduation rate. It was a good thing for them. So when I came over here, uh, entirely different type of community, but we recognized the, some of the same issues, that we had some students who were calling out for help, but it was often being treated as a b- disciplinary issue. It kind of comes to the Stanford prison experiment kind of mindset, right, where if you come from a place of discipline, you're going to continue to just discipline. That's right. Instead of what the job is, is, is to teach and to inspire the next generation. Uh, what has it been like having such a great staff? I mean, if I look back to my high school career, the Mr. Gassinos of the world, the Mr. Katz of the world, the uh, – go on. <laughs> Take it over right here. Um, and I can echo that because at Fishers we had excellent levels of staff rigor. So that must have been very helpful because I feel like what you do really well if, from an outside perspective is delegate. There's a lot of great delegation going on when and you're talking about um, the mental health specialists that worked with our schools – so delegation is often seen as a release of, of power and a little bit of a difficult thing to, to handle. How have you gone about delegating throughout your career? Well, in the smaller the district, the less delegation there is. Yeah. And we have the uh, second largest district in Indiana, don't we? The fourth largest. Fourth, fourth largest. Yeah. Th- it's still huge. Very large. It's, it's large. And uh, you, you actually, as a leader uh, – I hate to say power, but uh, you have greater power when you release yes. power. Uh, when you delegate that, when you have, when you allow people to make uh, decisions on their own and to make judgments, and you trust them, um, it really comes back in in major ways. You asked, "What's it like?" It's it's a source of uh, huge pride. Yeah, and uh, the idea that I have four grandkids in the system. Uh, was very intentional. I told my sons, no, you're not moving over to that community. <laughs> I want you right here. And, of course, they, they wanted to be near us as well. But watching our kids flourish under the tutelage of some of these teachers is just, a, it's just supremely satisfying. And um, I'm very proud of what our teachers do. I learned from them, as I, as I said earlier, They teach me. If I go into a classroom, uh, I go in often just to watch the interaction between student and teacher, but I find myself learning as a student. Uh, And it may be technique. It may be content. uh, It may be from the students. I'm I'm fascinated with what students know here and what they're uh, they're doing. In the state of the school's address that we, until this year, uh, and we did with Carmel, uh, a student always introduces the superintendent. And so the student is introduced by the chamber. I have thought before, this student should be 
they should be the star of the show. <laughs> <laughs> they, I, my my introduction shouldn't shouldn't even be uh, entered. We had one year a student was uh, introduced who was the child of the year for the Indiana um, Children's Museum. He had developed a phototherapy for Alzheimer's patients. What? <laughs> a yeah. kid from our graduated from HSC or Carmel or one of those? He was a, it was oh yes, it was HSC. It wouldn't have been a Carmel. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> and, no uh, way, Carmel. No way. And, and uh, I think he was only. I'm not even sure he was in high school at that time. Oh, that's insane. He had done it. His his grandmother had developed dementia, and he had investigated phototherapy as one of the experimental uh, approaches and developed an app for that for his own. Oh, I, mean, went, I know I, I know you're talking about now. He went to Fisher's High School. Um, do you remember his name? I, I, I don't remember. Oh, but I know who you're talking about, he was though. Very, very he was on Mayor's Youth Council with me. Probably. He was uh, extremely talented. And uh, when you start hearing students like that talk, yeah. uh, they become the teachers. And, and you know, if you stop learning, I think you end up dying. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, I'm always going to be a learner, <laughs> and I don't care who the teacher is. Yeah. Well, speaking of teachers, and I feel like it's almost a paradox where to have great students, you need to have great teachers. To have great teachers, you need to have great students. How do you go about, I don't want to say recruiting because that sounds kind of like a, a sporting event, but it, it almost is recruiting such an excellent staff. Does it start with the students first, the community, or, or how do you go about it's, it's really a combination of all of the mm -hmm. above. When we won our referendum, we had, my gosh, I'm thinking we had 130 positions that we had to fill. And we decided to have a job fair. And the job fair was over at HSE High School. It was at the College and Career Academy. And so the, on the appointed night, I think it was 5 o'clock it was to begin, um, I decided I'd go over there. We weren't sure how many would show up uh, because there's supposedly a teacher uh, shortage. Mm -hmm. even, even then there was a teacher shortage. So we weren't sure how successful we'd be. And as I came around there, um, I saw all these people by Leonard Auditorium. And I thought, oh, my gosh, we have timed this job fair when the high school's having another function. <laughs> and uh, so I came through there, and I was, I was really frustrated. <laughs> And then I realized all these people are adults in ties and dresses, and they're here for interviews. 800 of them. Oh, my goodness. 800 people wow. showed up that night. And so I was talking to many of them who had lined up, and they were waiting for some attention. I introduced myself, thanked them for being here, and uh, I said, I'm, I'm stunned that we have this turnout. And a couple of them laughed just kind of laughed. They said, are you serious? And I said, well, yes, I, I, we, we weren't anticipating this kind of number. Well, why? This is HSE. <laughs> this is Hamilton Southeastern. Why wouldn't we be here? <laughs> and I guess that was when it really hit me yeah. that we have a reputation here. And uh, yes, it's the school, and it's the history of the school, and it's a, a statement of the community, and it's a statement of colleagues of mine who are in the classrooms who are making a statewide, sometimes na nationwide presence, um, we are very fortunate to be, to be here. I have two more questions for you, and then I'm done. So uh, um, I have noticed that administration, um, when, they, when you get a job offer from another place, you may, you may go because it may be better. For example, Dr. Beresford got the uh, superintendent at Carmel Schools. What is it like having a colleague at an opposite school like that where you can, you know, almost every day communicate with them and, you know, almost work together to better your districts? Well, we do. We do work together. And, and I like to tell uh, people from Carmel that I trained their superintendent. <laughs> but in all seriousness, he was, he was ready when I came here. Uh, Dr. Beresford is, is excellent. And so is Dr. Niedermeyer in Noblesville, who was also one of our assistant superintendents. I didn't uh, work with, with her at that level, but the superintendents from Hamilton County 
and I, we include Zionsville in that as well. Uh, we work very closely together and marshal our resources so that we can uh, bring better things to the, to the county. Uh, we are rivals on the courts and in the pools and in the, on the fields, but really we meet almost, uh, well, we do meet once a month. We have breakfast together and we all talk about what we're doing we offer we offer assistance to one another when that's necessary. Um, nothing was more glaring than our assistance with one another the day of the Noblesville shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the entire yeah. the entire community. Finals week for us as well. That yeah. was, that's that true. Was crazy. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, whenever we need assistance, we know who to call. Excellent. We're we're all there for each other. That's awesome. That's good to have such a good support yeah. network. And that even leveled down to the students because as you said we're rivals on um in, in sporting events and extracurriculars but i believe i went on two or three retreats with student leaders from the other hamilton county schools and we were all there together uh, there was no rivalry i mean there's some joking around but i think that started from the administration down the willingness to work with one another that I thought was very yeah, inspiring. I mean, any Fisher's HSC event, there is... <laughs> well, there's the a little whole, bit more the animosity. Whole, I mean, but the whole city's there, right? Yeah. And I mean, sitting across from me right here, HSC Fisher's grads. Um, my last question for you is, <coughs> we haven't talked about COVID yet, which is kind of crazy. Um, how has this year been? Actually, that's been refreshing. Not <laughs> yeah, to talk about it. Yeah, we, we talk about it all the, all the time. It's become the new house, yeah, the it's weather. It's been pretty cool. Like, ah, but yeah. uh, it's, I mean... This year is your last year, and like we said earlier, it would have been a crazy year to have a new superintendent. So uh, what's it like, you know, this being your stamp, I'm going out on, on COVID year? Well, this has, COVID been, year. this has been the most tumultuous year of my career. Yeah. Um, and I've had some tumultuous events happen in my career, but nothing that's lasted for so long. Um, I mean, this just hasn't gone away since it, since it began. And... I think the the most difficult piece is we're we're trying to function using the best medical advice we have when the medical professionals don't agree on what the best advice is. Um, we have a health department, and we try to pay deference to that health department because, among other things, they can. They do have the authority to come in and say, you know, if if this can't, if this doesn't meet our standards, we are going to have to shut this down. And they have not been threatening. They haven't been heavy-handed, but we know that that can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also try to pay some deference to the, uh, to the other health professionals that may have children in our district that have thoughts on what we're doing. And many times they come at, at us very vocally from both directions. At one of our board meetings, we had two doctors sitting side by side who had opposite points of view and tried to tell us, this is what you need to be doing. We, but we respect both of them. Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to make that decision? Yeah, it's like, what, is it like the, it's like kind of making the decision of, is it a, like a better of two evils almost, right? Where you have to make decisions, send these schools, send these kids to school and get this money from the the gov- local or the federal government, or you don't, and they lose out on that funding. What was that internally like for you to make that decision with your colleagues? Well, the we we've gone a different direction from the other Hamilton County mm-hmm. schools, and part of that is because we've had a very close relationship with our health department, and we have listened to their guidance, which has shifted over time, and. Everything has shifted over time. I mean, at one point, we were told we shouldn't be wearing masks because it wasn't uh, the way to, to guard against the, the, the virus. That shifted. And there's, but there's a little lag. There's an information lag that you have, and people were not willing to accept that. Over time, though, that has become a little more acceptable. Um, we've, we, we have had many, many more days of virtual instruction than our neighbors uh, have. And part of that is because we have, um, now Carmel has the same issue, but we have two large high schools. And these high schools are going to be very difficult to distance, distance the students in, especially at lunchtime, 
but also during passing periods. Passing periods aren't aren't the the most critical thing because generally it's within six feet and fifteen minutes that you are uh, susceptible. So as you're passing students, if, if as long as they continue to to move, that's not the critical issue. But distancing is, uh, particularly when we eat in some of the classes, um, and that's the same problem at the junior high level. We have students, and admittedly, younger people weather the virus much better than many of the older people. Very true. But we have older people in our, I mean, we have 2,300 regular employees. And these these numbers can really be... uh, pretty overwhelming at times, especially when you can't protect them. And uh, we're dedicated to everyone's safety, not just the students or not just the employees. And it becomes uh, very complicated. I I can't think of a time when I have received more consistent, uh, angry emails uh, than, than in these last several months. I mean, if I didn't have a fairly uh, thick skin, I'd have I'd have retired a long time ago. <laughs> and, and yeah, so, I can't even imagine uh, when school gets canceled, the amount of emails you may receive. And that was, you know, yeah. four years ago, and that's what we were worried about. That's what we were checking Twitter for was, that's right. is Jim White calling me right now to cancel <laughs> school, you know? But now they have to worry about, you know, are we even going to school? So I think we're, there's light at the end of the tunnel, though. Yeah. Yes. There, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, the vaccines are out now, yes. and they're being distributed. It's only a matter of time before we, we receive ours, and uh, educators are up there on the list. So I, I, I'm fairly confident that we may not end the year on a normal note. It may be the new normal but at least we'll be more in person than we are right now. Yeah. Are you thinking like a drive-by graduation kind of deal <laughs> this year? You drive around the school? Well, that was suggested last year. We So I went to um, uh, my buddy's place up in Illinois, and that's what they did. They had like a big screen up in the parking lot, and people just drove by, and the superintendent or principal announced their names as they drove by, and I thought that was a great idea. But we, I don't know if that, that's doable. Well, it, yes, it is doable. I think Carmel did something like that. Absolutely. Noblesville may have done something of that nature. What we did was, uh, and you probably already know this, but we did more of a diploma presentation, an individualized diploma yeah. presentation in the, in the auditoriums. And uh, we, were, we were sorry that we had to do that, and yet, some of the families really enjoyed that. It's more of a, I, it was more of an individual, yeah, like, it's more uh, it was more intimate. Personal. Yeah, mm-hmm. you could be more intimate with your, you know. I know when I went up to um, get my diploma, Mr. Rent gave me a hug, and, like, all the administrators, because I was, when I was in high school, as you know, I was very involved. I was knew all these administrators, and, and uh, very, it would have been a much more intimate experience if there wasn't, you know, 5,000 people around. Yeah, right. I was... I was a little disappointed because uh, I couldn't be at both places at one time, and they were because it was happening all all at once. And uh, the principals told me at that point, you know, we why don't you just stay back, just because we'll we'll take care of this that way. No one can say, well, the superintendent was here but not there. So I wasn't at either of them. Did you get to give your famous commencement speech? No. Oh. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. It was by. It was by. Uh, I think we recorded that. Okay. okay. And they patched you into both. And I don't know that I gave the same type of speech. Okay. 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 It, was, it changed with the. Yeah, it'll it'll be coming back this year. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Because I, I I've been able to see I believe four iterations of that speech because you gave it for my brother's graduation, which was in 2016, and then I was there for the subsequent um, filming for the the families that weren't able to make it and that that was always a part I looked forward to you know it was that was scary the first year yeah because uh, I wasn't sure if uh, I wasn't sure how that how the reaction would be and uh, it's been interesting at one school it receives applause at another school it's just kind of flat it and also depends on the audience every year. It does. Right? I mean, yeah. separation yeah, it does. of church and state isn't a small, small issue. That's right. Even the fact that you talk about it is commendable. So, um, 
Well, well I checked with our uh, with our attorney beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, you, can, can you defend me if you have to? And uh, he read the script and he said, I, I don't have a problem with that. So, has there <laughs> last question now? Has there ever been an issue? Has people have? have I'm assuming you've definitely got angry emails, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, okay. I, I have. Not many. Not many. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I've had more positive on on that one. But uh, I definitely say it's a, it's a positive thing because I mean the the overwhelming majority uh, may agree, but the few that may disagree, I mean, it's I I feel like when you give the speech, you're not really you know pushing. Hey, this is what we need to do. It's just kind of like, hey, this is how I feel. And I feel like you're allowed to do that at, at commencement. So, uh, any any last words you'd like to say? Any shout outs you'd like to give? Well, it's it's been great talking to the two of you. It's been great seeing you again. Yes, sir. Uh, always. I don't always uh, in this position. I don't have uh, close contact mm-hmm. with as many students as I used to when I was in smaller smaller districts. Yeah. And uh, this, th- it was great to receive your invitation. I'd, I'd have jumped at it if you said it would be at 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night. I'd, I'd <laughs> okay. have been here. Well, I'm glad, sir. And, uh, again, thank you for everything over the years. I mean, your support with Stigma Free will always remain very close to my heart, as I told you in that email, and your support of students. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on today, taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. I appreciate you talking candidly because I know uh, our relationship was more of an administrative sort of, uh, I, I, we just kind of met for meetings um, regarding the school, but I appreciate you talking so candidly with us. Um, it, again, I want to echo what he said. I know you have a very busy schedule and a lot of logistics going on um, <laughs> with the school year, but I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It's been my honor. All right, everyone stay Thank masked you. up, stay beautiful, please. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Fresh Take with Joey and Ranveer. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation with Hamilton Southeastern School Superintendent Dr. Alan Borf. We had a great time, and I hope you learned a lot. Keep an eye out going forward. Ranveer and I have, well, let's just say a special holiday present for you, so keep an eye out for that. Make sure to check our Twitter and spread the word about our podcast. If you like it, check us out on all platforms. Uh, give us a follow, subscribe based on whatever platform you're on and leave us a review and don't forget to tell your friends stay beautiful guys ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.